about the week, no show. What's happening in our streets, no show. They'll help you understand, no show, no show. Hello, welcome to the No Show. My name's Andrea Edwards. Uh, my name is Joe Augustine, and sitting in for Tim, I'm going to le- let her introduce herself because I'll mispronounce her name. Sam, how are you, Sam? <laughs> Sam gave her. Good, 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 good. Uh, it's good to have you back, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. So Sam's so, going to be well, sitting in for the next two weeks to because Tim's mm-hmm. decided to go on a bit of a jolly to Australia, which, you know, well overdue catching up with his family, so... Well, and he doesn't trust his mom to have good Wi-Fi. I mean, what kind of son does that, right? Yeah, um, well, it, is, it is Australia. <laughs> well, this is the the No Show, the show that tries to celebrate knowing stuff and uh, having an opinion and thinking about things, critical thinking. So it's not always about just looking for the things that you already know. It's about opinions you might not have already. Uh, and uh, we always try to bring on, well, not just one guest on this occasion, but uh, more guests so that we can have an interesting and diverse conversation. So the man that I'm about to introduce, I can only say has, and he'll explain this in the moment as well, has a lot of cocks around the house. Uh, please welcome Denise von Royen. I think I've said it right. Oh, no, Joe, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, you're spot on. No, good practice and a, um, a lot of cocks around the house. Yeah. No, there's a couple of chickens about and a couple of dogs. One has to take care. <laughs> right. And snakes. And snakes. You're, you're, you've got a collection yeah, no, of I, them too, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I have to keep the snakes about. No, it's just fun. It's, it's a really interesting hobby. And um, I like the detail, you know. I like the, the detail. <laughs> for for a for a quick one, let uh, can you do an introduction? Well, what, what how how would someone uh, you know what what does someone need to know to know who you are ahead of time? Yeah, no. So yesterday, you guys asked me to write a bio, and I phoned up and someone, and I said, "Look, man, how <laughs> do I write a bio about myself?" Um, basically, it's like this: I've been an expat um, out of South Africa for maybe about twenty years, maybe a little bit more by now. Um, I started in retail and subsequently, like I said in the bio, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank God it wasn't a train. Um, and I started <laughs> sailing boats. Um, I started sailing boats and people would um, hire me to sail their boats to tropical paradise islands. And I'm fortunate enough now to live on a tropical paradise island. Um, so, yeah, that's basically me, man. It's not really <laughs> a complicated or involved thing. It's all about easy living. So we've got our first boat captain. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but also, you've been you've been watching the show for a few weeks, and you're 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 someone who's really engaged with what's going on in the world. So we're really ha- we're really happy to have you here. Oh, thank you very much. And I like interesting stuff, man. And I like to follow what's going on. Um, like I said, it's the details, and the details is what fascinates me. You know, why? Wow. Why, why do you do that? How do you do that? What's your thought process behind it? That's what interests me. It's very IB, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not the first one to say that. I mean, to quote uh, a couple of mates of mine, they like to say I'm very, um, I'm very militant. I like to think about it more of I've got very fixed boundaries, very fixed opinions, but I'm open to everybody else's. It's not a judgment. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you've never felt close-minded to me. No, well, I try to be. <laughs> yeah, never. <laughs> sort of things I like about you, you do mm. listen, but you also have a, a, interesting takes as well because you know you. All four of us have grown up in very, very different ways with different influences, different backgrounds. I think that's what I find fascinating about these conversations, including the roosters in the background. 
Oh, can you hear them? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll have to be That's more right. vigilant on meeting. I'll take one of. I'll take one of because I can't hear them with his mic. Oh, God. They're very he's vocal. Gonna, he's got to yeah. go outside and go like, I'm going to cook one of you. <laughs> it won't be the they first time. Are... It won't be the first time. They appear to be terrible timekeepers because it's nowhere near the crack of dawn right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. no, it's not. Normally it starts at about three, and funny enough, at about four-ish, three, four-ish in the afternoon it goes off. But let me close this door. Give me a moment. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I actually wonder whether it's part of the um, the the, the, the seaman's um, you know way where where you you kind of open to hearing other people's conversations other points of view because you're you're literally stuck in a you know in a location together there's no getting away you sort of have to have a little bit of flexibility in terms of i guess uh you know uh appreciate appreciating other points of view mm. otherwise yeah. you end up in like a cape fear situation <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sorry, I missed all the conversation. All I'm thinking is chickens and Cape Fear. Yeah, no, it's scary as hell. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering whether or not it's common amongst uh, sea seafarers to, to to be maybe more accepting of different kinds of people because you're you're always stuck in the same situation anyway. So you have to be a bit more accommodating to someone who's not like yourself, maybe. Well, yes, Joe. That's actually a very good statement to make, man. Um, it's 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 kind of a dichotomy of sorts because. Um, you are in the situation because you put yourself there. And in order to be there, you have to be accepting of whatever else is going on. You know what I mean? You can't stand fast to your traditions and your culture and your opinions and your mindsets and then expect everybody else to conform to it. So think about it on, a, on an old pirate ship. It's a very good example. On an old pirate ship, um, you have 40 people, different cultures, different nationalities. They come from all over the world. But... Regardless of any of that, you know, this guy believes in Muhammad, this guy believes in Jesus, this guy believes in his forefathers. I mean, you can go into details that will blow you away. But um, yet everybody is able to come together and live their lives and get onto the boat and make sure the boat gets to the destination and pillage and uh, do whatever they do um, to make success <laughs> of what they do. <laughs> so, um, so this is what I mean by the, by, by the dichotomy. Yes, in order to be in that situation and achieve success, you have to be open and you have to change your mindset. But in order to get there, you have to let go of what you are used to and what you're, yeah. uh, you know what I mean, have been taught for, for, for the sake of this discussion. I, I don't think many people have thought about the idea of the boardroom in the pirate ship, but that, that quite describes it well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look, I've... I've, I've I've, I've been in both, man. The boardroom and the pirate ship is not the same thing. <laughs> I'd much rather be in a pirate ship. <laughs> but I, I'm sure Sam has been involved in many, many marketing campaigns where the boat is the central and teamwork is the central sort of imagery that's used, uh, you know, to, for teamwork messages, leadership messages, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. The yeah. Uh, classic being we are not all in the same boat, but we are all in the same storm. Yes, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a good analogy. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I, I just we I used it a lot in COVID because yeah. you have so many different people with different impacts, and everybody is in the storm that is COVID. But you know, someone's on a yacht and someone's in a rowboat. So yeah, um, it's trying to keep all that in mind whenever we talk about it. Whenever you look at vaccine rollouts, whenever you look at people's perspectives, is you know what kind of boat are they in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Walk a mile in the shoes, man. Yeah. 
right, so the format. Well, I was I was going to say that I I I uh, and again I apologize. I've only been running on three hours of sleep, so some words are not arriving as I ask for them. Um, <laughs> no, I was just thinking that uh, we were, I didn't introduce Samantha, and I guess in what she's been saying, you've, you've probably got the idea because someone who's joining us for the first time would uh, would not have the background that she has. Uh, lots of back, lots of uh, experience in uh, corporate communications. Uh, as she was uh, alluding to in her comment just a moment ago. All right, uh, so the, the format is about talking about the news, talking about things that uh, are in the news, and, of course, you get the commentary of, uh, well, on this occasion, very uh, diverse, I, I think a very diverse background, uh, and yet we're all in the same storm. So, uh, Andrea, let's, let's just hear about the storm. All right, but before that, we have to wish you a happy birthday this week, Joe. Oh, well, thank Did you, you celebrate. Oh, happy birthday, Joe. Best wishes, mate. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. I've been, I've been 25 now for way too long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be 25. You, you no. at 25 isn't as good as Joe at 53, right? No. Uh, and I think if we cherry pick, you, you all know the different things you choose from different parts of your life, right? I like to be as experienced as I am right now. I like to have the patience of my dad who was much older. Uh, but I'd love to have the uh, physical stamina of the 25-year-old. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that, that's a good point. All right. Uh, so let's get into the news that stuck a cord this week. And I think one of the, the good news story that really stood out for me was they have found Shackleton's lost ship in Antarctica. Isn't that a cool story? Did you guys <laughs> have, a, have, a, have a look at it? That, yeah. I mean, it's, the photography is amazing. And uh, it hasn't broken down. It's It's really well preserved. It's... It's, uh, it's like it was cryogenically story. frozen. Yeah, yeah, and it can't. Like it can't be time for the nicest uh, appearance on the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When the email went around and I saw Shackles was the first guy. No, it's exciting times, man. Um, it, uh, look, the basic issue is that this guy went down to go and see if he can find the South Pole. His ship got stuck in in, in ice, and um, just in the beginning of the winter, and as the winter progressed, his ship got crushed up, and, and these guys had to escape. And this was back in the day when warm clothes was fur, and you were eating blubber, you know, seal fat, whale fat, in order to get enough calories in order just to stay warm. Um, so the fact that they found their ship and, you know, identified it as the endurance and all that is, is, a, is an amazing thing. It's a great thing for history. But the Achilles heel is this, because it's protected under the Arctic um, Conservancy Law, they can't touch a single thing on that boat. They can take as many photos as they want, but they cannot touch a single thing. So that's a bit of a, a, a downside. You know, I hope it, that they get to a point where they're able to explore it, to enrich our knowledge and enrich our history, which would be nice. But nevertheless, yeah. it's, a, it's a good find, man. It's really exciting. I like stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, but from, uh, just to add the environment layer onto this, so basically the only reason they've been able to find it, because it was in such an inhospitable part of, of the, Antarc of the Arctic, Antarctic, sorry, um, the past month has seen the lowest extent of Antarctic ice ever recorded uh, during the satellite era, which basically goes back to the 1970s, and that's why the conditions were unexpectedly favourable. So if the correct, sea ice correct. continues to go, you know, we might, we might be able to get more. More. No, correct. I mean, normally that area is covered under sheet ice. You know, it's it's a couple of uh, I don't know. Let's call it a, a, a couple of meters of uh, uh, thick, so six, seven, eight, ten, twelve meters thick. And the wreck was found in three kilometers of water. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget that it was three kilometers down. Um, you know, basically intact, no woodworm infestation, very little oxygen down there, so nothing really rots. A uh, lots of filter feeders on top of the wreck, and um, lots of sea life. 
a um, really cool thing, man. It's um, it's an amazing thing, but unfortunately, that's about as much as I think they'll do. You know, it's not going to be the Titanic where uh, some famous director takes his boat down and just takes it to pieces and everybody's happy. Um, this is going to they- be one of those things. Hmm. Can they get in and document it though? Like, are they actually able to go into the hull and actually at least photograph, or do they literally cannot touch it? Well, Sam, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm sure the technology exists to make drones small enough, three kilometers down, attached by cables, in order to swim through the holes and the portholes and all that to see what's going on. But um, whether they're able to take samples of wood or you know, remove anything from the wreck. As far as I understand it, really, no, no, not really. So, you know, as the as, as the broad term states, you're not allowed to deserve it. So that's that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, remember you talking to me. I'm a button novice in this. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. But as I interpret it, no, it's going to be a very difficult task. But it's cool they found it nonetheless. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Very cool. All right. All right. Jay's here. I don't think that a pirate ship might one day be a good an analogy for a functional world. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Right, Joe, I'm going to ask you to keep an eye on the comments so that we can show them um, show them as we go through. All right, um, so let's get stuck into the, the, the meat of the news this week. And the first thing that I really want to ask everybody is how you're feeling about what's going on in the world. Oh, Scared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When was the, I asked Andrea earlier? When was the last time you guys put fuel in your cars or in your motorcycles or whatever you ride? Yeah, just in the last week. I mean, it, I, I've noticed it going up over the last year as well. Like, you know, yeah. sort of thirty percent higher. And you know, and for then, me, that's you know, that's uh, you know, that's not an issue. But for a lot of people, that's a massive is- issue. So, yeah, I mean, the the impact globally and and the rollout, which is you know the first focus I want to start on, but. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of people reaching out to me, just really struggling and sitting in a lot of terror and fear for the future. Um, it's a hard time, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a tough one. I think, you know, you did the podcast the other day about how you get through these times and, and you know, the piece where you talked about coming home to Steve and saying, you know, do we need to pack bags and go, I mean, we're having the same conversation. I said to Jay, I'm like, no, we need to go buy a farm in Canada. Like, we need to start learning how to grow some food and buy yeah. something somewhere where it's not going to flood. And and we've kind of joked about it in the past, and and it's not so much a joke anymore. You know, it's it's like my mom's a real estate agent. My mom, find us a farm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's you know, you kind of jest, but it's scary that that is really where you're at yeah that's where we're at yeah yeah i mean do we need to make sure we've got some cash in the safe if we have to move yeah. at a moment's notice um you know because yeah i mean we don't know what can happen and i think that's that's a very unsettling thing for a lot of people and i i, I also know a lot of people just aren't even thinking about it they don't even want to confront it you know which in some ways is even harder because it's it's not like you can ignore it the truth is there so yeah, it's pretty uncertain times. But the, the one thing, you know, in that podcast, I was saying we can't sit in the fear of what potentially could happen in the future because it's, it's just crippling to sit in that place, right? I mean, to think about it like this. So you are a nationality of whatever passport you hold, you know, Australia, Hong Kong or, or Canada, South Africa for this matter. Um, sorry, Joe, I, I might be wrong with Hong Kong, but I'm just taking a <laughs> swing here. 
<laughs> uh, I think Malaysian, yeah, Malaysian. Malaysian, all right. Malaysia. So, <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> so you are now expats in a different country, and now things go turn turn a bit difficult. You know, you get sanctions. You know, it gets a little bit more expensive to live where you live. What makes you think that you're going to have an easier life returning to the country of origin? You know what I well, mean? It, it creates that sense of safety, maybe. For mm. us, it's literally geographical. Like, if you look at the maps, Canada stands to be one of the last places on the planet that is inhabitable. So, yeah. um, you know, greatly, well, just grateful that my kids have that passport that we have that yeah. passport that we have a pass yeah. back there. Um, but it doesn't, I mean, it, it's, I it, it, just have to think about, I mean, we literally have this summer like, Hey, do we get a big pot of land and build like a bunch of cabins on it? And then, you know, save Very spaces boring. for the people who we, you know, know are going to need to relocate. I mean, we have beautiful mm. friends who are South African. We have amazing friends from Africa. Like, I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to go home. So, you know, do we try to build something where, you know, our version of an arc, <laughs> it's, yeah, sure, sure, it's sure. crazy to be having those thoughts. Yeah. yeah. I just had a picture of Singapore-styled, uh, you know, HDB flats as a kind of uh, <laughs> way to get away yeah. in country Canada, you know. <laughs> no, but that, that, I mean, if, if you look at the future maps based on, you know, um, it being too hot to live or rising oceans, I mean, that is the sort of thing where we're going to have to be clustered in, in smaller spaces and those are obviously going to be high-rise sort of buildings to get as many people as possible and, Part of the adaptation is actually preparing for that. And, you know, the refugee crisis, you know, 2 million refugees have left Ukraine this week. And one of my thoughts is, well, this is an ex this is an opportunity to start building the refugee infrastructure that is going to be needed in the future rather than continually not being prepared for it because it's coming, right? More than half the world's population is living in areas that are at great risk of, of survival. So it's a, we've got to start getting prepared and... Um, and I know it's a scary thing to think about, but this, I mean, you guys know me, I've, I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time, but we are now in a changed world and we're not going back to what we left behind. It's We're just not. And I think if you can start to get your mindset around that and start sort of at least thinking about, you know, what does that look like for you and your family? And, you know, we're, we're lucky we've got choices. A lot of people mm. have no choices, right? So it's not just getting ourselves ready, but it's also electing governments that are going to start to tackle the adaptation and, and and be ready for the for the people that need help, rather than the desperate sort of situations that we continuously see around the refugees flowing out of and, different parts of the world. And I think you know there was a piece I think it came out today in CNN and and about the impact of systemic racism in those mm. refugees and looking yeah. at places like Denmark who were sending Syrians back while the country was still being bombed, but have opened their arms to the Ukrainians. Yeah. It's really, those are tough optics to, to yep. be like, mm, these people who are more like us are welcome, but those people who are different are not, or the stories yeah. about the, the kids trying to leave Ukraine who are studying there, who are of African descent being pushed off of trains. And like the reality is the migration that's going to happen is going to be people of color. 
yeah. in large swaths of the world. So we need to get our stuff together in terms of battling that systemic racism that exists that says, you know, European refugees are more valuable than refugees from somewhere else. I mean, that's a yeah. whole nother ugly side of what's going on. And we see that yeah. with the, the, the not dropping, but, you know, as the world focuses on Ukraine, and I put something on LinkedIn about this the other day, because there was a beautiful piece from a guy who runs a refugee organization, Sasha something. Um, and he said, you know, what I'm conscious of as I look at what we need to do to support Ukraine is how do we also not stop focusing on the refugees of yesterday and the, the Afghanis, the Syrians, the Ethiopians, the Rohingya, like, you know, it's just more. And, and so mm. when you shift the focus, how do you make sure people don't stop thinking about the people whose, whose situation we still haven't resolved? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting point of view, Sam. I mean, for sure, you don't have to for, for, forget the people of the past. You know, they are still suffering. You still have to push them through. Um, it, it tied, for me, it ties in a little bit with the fact that the, the, the situation as it, as it is now, um, the result could be a nuclear war, whereby that threat was not there before. So, you know, everybody will be fine. You know, let's just keep on processing them. You know, they are fighting. They've been fighting for the past 12 years. No worries. You know, we've got a process in place. We've got procedures. Let's just push them through. And now all of a sudden you've got, you know, Russia, what's going on and their control over, over North Korea and China, who is definitely not going to be a peace broker because you think that would be completely freaking naive. Um, you know, the, the, the threat is generally there. They just recently let through the, the, the guys from the Ukraine to go and fix old Chernobyl. And the only reason they're doing that is so that they can keep on selling power. Um, because of the sanctions, they're not able to make money elsewhere. Um, speaking of the sanctions, hell, um, oil embargoes. Until the decision is made, you can still buy Russian oil. America is importing 20% of Russian oil, yeah. and it's a crude, hard oil, and they need that for their distillation plants down in Texas. Um it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cash money too, man. It really, really yeah. is. Yeah. All right. So let, I totally agree. Let's let's sort of go through some of the news items that have come up, and um, we we can talk about it. And I want to start off with the food catastrophe as well as the energy hikes. But let's mm. start with the food. So basically, this war has engulfed the the breadbasket of the world. And there's a piece in the BBC which is a really comprehensive piece called "Ukraine War: Catastrophic for Global Food." And yeah. basically the, the, the story is that this is going to deliver a global shock to global supply and cost of food, and we've already started to see it um, coming. Um, Russia and Ukraine are some of the biggest producers in agriculture and food globally. But Russia also, and this is probably the, the, the piece that I think is really important, they also produce an enormous amount of nutrients like potash and phosphate, and these are key ingredients in fertiliser. And basically what they're saying is that we're going to see um, like the food, the amount of food that's available going down, but also the yields from the crops will reduce by 50%. So yeah. one of the experts said it's not whether we are moving into a global food crisis, it's how large this crisis will be. So and then another point, another article in the intelligence, uh, Economist Intelligence Unit, basically um, food commodities have gone off the charts, and I'm sure Joe's seeing that um, in his trading but grains and vegetable oils are soaring, so if you need to stock up, it's a good time to do it. 
So just so you know, so Ukraine and, and Russia are prominent grain exporters and they account for 30% of global trade in wheat, 17% of maize, and more than 50% of sunflower seed oil. Uh, also, Ukraine supplies about a quarter of UK of the EU cereal and vegetable oil imports. Palm oil prices have hit record highs as well as people are rushing to secure alternative um, sources. And we know the history of palm oil. There's a lot of unsustainable palm oil in the supply chain. But then the third thing, that the other side of it is these disruptions are also going to adversely affect livestock and meat markets globally. So we're, we're looking at 40% sort of increases, and that's on top of 40% in 2021. So these are big, big and fast-moving changes in, in, the, in the cost of food. Any thoughts? Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, Andre, you're absolutely right. It's going to require a lifestyle change in order to accommodate that. And yeah. this lifestyle change is you have to consider it in cycles of what you plant <clears throat> versus, sorry, versus what you reap. So if you're going to want to get your own milk or you want to plant your own vegetables or you want to be self-sufficient in some sort of way, how long does it take for something to go from seed to fruit? You know, how long does yeah. it go take if, if you want to grow cattle or lamb or goats or whatever or ducks for, for, for protein? How long does it take to go from here to there? And anybody who starts now, I mean, and bear in mind when you're looking out about six, eight months a year before something changes. You know, it's the uh, same with, with, with you know, it's, it's the same with uh, um, renewable energy versus the, the, the um, uh, oil, uh, the, the, the oil extracted from the ground. Um, you know, I, I hate to sound like I'm jumping on the bandwagon, but I'm quoting Elon Musk here that said, in order for us to achieve success, the countries who have oil, who has that resource, you need to release it. Renewable energy is not something that's going to take over overnight. Um, in order to get to the same level of production, you know, there's a, a period of production involved. Um, manufacturing the equipment, doing the resources, putting this in, in, installing whatever you need to install. Um, and for us, in order to achieve that right now, because of what's going on, and um, I mean, and Russia's oil and gas exports affect something like 30% of the world's total uh, consumption. It's ridiculous amount. Um, but it's not going to happen overnight. The countries who have access to these resources release them and not keep it at $100 a barrel, as I heard earlier. It's going to stay like that for the rest of the year. Are you kidding me? $100 a barrel. I mean, nothing is going to change. So release that um, and, and then focus on the renewable energy, whatever you know, your, your, your flavor takes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, the, the supply and demand and the increasing costs, it's just – Especially, you know, from a food perspective, right? This is this is the stuff that creates revolutions. So, you know, mm. the potential for it to destabilize the world, and a tiny, tiny percentage of people are going to make a lot of money out of this increasing price of commodities, but at the, at, at the, basically at the expense of a peaceful world. So, I'll give you one example, and this this isn't because of Ukraine, it, but it's all going to be interlinked. So. A story broke this week in Reuters um, that hundreds of bakeries have been shut in Sri Lanka because they've run out of cooking gas. Now, um, so it's nearly a 1,000 have been shut. And basically the reason that they're running out of gas is because Sri Lanka is, uh, has dwindling foreign exchange, exchange reserves. And this is where the majority of developing countries are right now. So, um, you know, they're, they're, Sri Lanka is experiencing the worst financial crisis in a decade and their exchange reserves have shrunk by 70%, which means the country is struggling to pay for food, medicine, and fuel. 
and they're expecting these, you know, 90% of the bakeries to close for good if this is not um, sorted out soon and bread prices have doubled. Now, rice is the primary product in um, in the diet of Sri Lankans, but bread bread is also an important part of their diet. But this is the sort of stuff we're going to see going around the world, you know, in the Middle East where wheat is like one of the primary um, basic food commodities, uh, you know, we, I'm, I'm actually quite frightened about that side of things. You know, the really hungry people don't stay quiet and neither should they. So, you know, maybe this is a chance to show that our, con our global economy is so fundamentally flawed and it's, you know, we've banked our, our, our existence on it for a few decades or a few centuries now, but maybe this is the time to say, well, we're at it, we need to change this because we need to change it anyway. Well, this is the kind of horrible person that I am, but I was thinking intermittent fasting for everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when I was thinking about the, the the price of oil and some of these other commodities, I mean, yes, I understand a lot of it is uh, you know for 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 necessities, but I I I, I couldn't help thinking about how Singapore is, um, and and by the way, that that's where I I live, um, you know. Singapore has certain things about it which which should mean that the consumption for this, that, or the other should go down. Right? And so the, the, the example is actually for cars, right? I mean, we have all these uh, certificates of entitlement. We have these uh, extra taxes, whatever it is. Uh, basically, a, a car in Singapore is uh, usually goes for about the same price as, I would say, two or three homes further out in the country in South Africa, um, any other country in the world, I think. Uh, it's It's just that crazy, right? But yet we consume it. So I, I think the, the the world has this addiction as well to oil. I mean, we talk about you know how how we use it. Uh, it why it will remain at a hundred dollars is because you know I, I I heard this commercial a long time ago, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, it was a ski resort that said that you know during the high season we charge more, and why do we do it? Because we can. Yeah. Uh, so the, the those who have been keeping oil in reserve uh, haven't been doing it because they just want to keep it, right? It's a, it's it's for this kind of situation where there's a, a rainy day, uh, but there's also an opportunity in here. So this this is their moment. I mean, oil goes through its its ups and downs as well. There are times when oil is so doing so badly that the industry itself can't survive. It's not not as viable. Uh, and and now you know it's just one of those things. It's it's uh, they're back in demand. They'll they'll keep the supply going out as 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 comfortably as they can. They want to maximize their gains in the short uh, in the the short to medium term, um, and and we continue to demand it. And people and will we will to starve. Yeah. Yeah. And we I mean Canada is a great example of every time there's a holiday weekend, gas prices go through the roof. Like, and you just expect it. You're like, oh, well, I better get my gas at the beginning of this week because by Friday, the price is going to be up by a buck and a half. And and yet everybody still goes to the pumps and they still put the mm -hmm. gas in their car to drive to their cottage. So, yeah, it's the, it haves, will, the haves will keep having and the have nots yeah. will keep starving. Yeah. It reminds and me of one of these memes I saw in the week where um, it says, why don't you take your girlfriend slash wife out on an expensive date and everybody gets dressed up and get in the car and they end up at the gas station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, Denise, that comes back to, you know, what you were talking about with the, you know, the threat of nuclear, you know, and yeah. how that's grabbed everybody's attention with Ukraine. But that is also 
the global inequity, right? Then the powers yeah. that have nuclear power are not, you know, that's not happening in sub-Saharan Africa. It's not happening where, you know, so you're still dealing with this elite game mm -hmm. that that is is pummeling the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I know well, you, you say an elite game, but you know what whatever they do will definitely affect the rest of the world. You know, Africa is a massive producer of cobalt and various um, and rare metals. Uh, if, if you go out to the western coast of Africa, you get a lot of rice, you get a lot of grains. If you go down to the southern Africa, and back in the day, Zimbabwe, Malawi, um, uh, what you call it, just up north from Malawi, wasn't what it was the same. It was called the bread basket of Africa, you know, comparable to the Ukraine. Um, and what happened there absolutely destroyed those, the, the, not just the country, but the countries around it. Oh, good that yes. what happened with Zimbabwe with the currency, right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't even don't even yeah, but like but it, wheelbarrows full of cash to buy a loaf of bread yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but mm. yeah i think you know for my big takeaway there's the the economic infrastructure of the world needs to change and we are once again being shown proof of why it needs to change but from the oil and gas perspective so there's a, a piece in the new york times called how much will the us's ban hurt russia did you guys have a chance to have a look at that one yeah, yeah. No, I did. Yeah. I did. So yeah. I, I thought I thought this was interesting. So they're basically talking the turbulence of, for Russia's oil and gas industry has just be, has just begun. Um, it's become toxic to many buyers, but as we know, most of the countries who are saying they're not going to buy it, it won't actually ma matter until the end of the year. Russia uh, provides about ten percent of the world's oil and gas, and the belief is that they're going to focus their sales uh, on Asia. Obviously, China is at the top of that. The thing is, China doesn't pay as much as the European countries pay for the oil and gas from Russia. And in the past, the oil and gas has come out of the Siberian uh, fields and some other sort of older operations, and that's what turned Russia into an oil, you know, giant. But the new fields are being de developed in the, in the Arctic, and it's notable for their harsh operating conditions and higher costs. So will China be willing to pay the higher cost to extract the oil and gas from the from these regions, and I think that's one of the the things. Like you know, the, everything's everything's up in the air. But the, regardless of all of that, you know, Europe's about to face or is facing higher gas prices. Regardless of all of that, the opportunity now is for Europe to say, right, let's make rapid progress and um, get get the oil and gas out of, out of our lives and and get renewable renewable energy in place because that's what the world needs anyway, right? So it's an opportunity. It's as well, yeah. the, the, yeah. renewable energy is the way forward. Absolutely, um, the, the whole oil and gas thing. As this article I saw earlier, it, it un, until a decision has been made, the regulation is not enforced. Meaning that until we decided, okay, the sanction is now inflation is going in, you can still buy gas and oil from Russia. You can still do yeah. it. So, I mean, out of out, out of northern Canada, Samshna, you know, north of Saskatchewan, up to the all, all that. That's um, ice road trucking, the TV show on Discovery Channel that everybody sees. I mean, this is a, a good example of that. These are diamond mines and oil and gas mines that are only accessible during the winter times. During the summer times, they are flying choppers over, but yet they are still able to produce product enough to justify a, a profit in order to operate that facility. Mm. So in in in, Scan in, in um, Scandinavia, in um, uh, northern Russia, what's Siberia and all those type of places moving into the Arctic Circle. Um, that's been happening in Canada for decades. It's it's not a new thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
but the the, the 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 talent of the uh, of foreigners have, have been a pretty active part of that right and so now all of that talent has left so and which doesn't mean that the russians don't have the talent to to do the jobs and they can certainly they're certainly born into a country where they can cope with the weather extremes more but this is still a, like territory that you know it's like they found shackleton ship right yeah uh, it's that sort well, of territory you mentioned talent. Um, I, re- I heard on BBC, um, at, you know, whatever you can get on, on YouTube and all those type of places and your news facilities, that um, certain universities in America and in Canada and in England, France, or, you know, the European, the EU countries, the NATO nations, they are opening up their channels for educated people and people who are well studied in order to leave Russia or Ukraine for that matter, come over and settle in those countries and share the knowledge and stuff that. So, I mean, that's another thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's how Canada was built. <laughs> the opposite it's of Australia. True. How funny is that? It's true. It's true. Well, thank you, you know, very I much. Mean, I, I don't, no, I no offense count, intended. I can count on one hand the number of second-generation Canadian kids that I went to school with. We were all the children of immigrants. All of us. Yeah, sure. All Ditto, of us. baby. Ditto. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no. My, um, my, I trace my... Mm, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. You trace. I, I trace my back in the day. We trace our family tree back in South Africa to 1741. Man, um, this makes me a seventh generation South African. To think about it is actually crazy. A very relative short history, but a lot has happened in that short, small amount of time. Mm. Mm. Um, I think one of the pieces that I thought was so interesting, connected to the oil and the situation in Russia, was was the relationship between China and Russia. And the piece that was written on helping the world understand that everything that's made in China is made with Russian oil. So everything that you think you're still going to be able to buy from China off of Amazon or whatever, all of that is being produced off the back of Russian oil. So whatever happens there is also going to impact that entire production process. And that's good leverage with China because, you know, they're certainly protectionist against their economy. So that is the only thing that actually made me think, okay, this isn't like the East meets West and and it's World War Three is there are still a number of really imperative reasons for China to keep Russia in check. Yeah. Um, And that. That, I think, honestly, was the most heartening thing I read. And, I mean, you wouldn't think it when you look at the headline or you start reading it. But, really, it was like, okay, this is, you know, there's some there's some rationality to them keeping this contained. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's China. China is in a very favorable, favorable position, right? Um, so, between China and Russia, they've got some sort of influence you know, be or, or, or be it financial or whatever you want over North Korea. And North Korea has got the ultimate disclaimer. Yeah, leave us alone. We out. We don't want to hear anything from you guys. You know, shut the hell up. And they just do what they want to do and they make their own decisions. But their finances come from forced labor, as all of us know, in Siberia and in Russia, in logging camps, in construction camps. You know, they, they get shipped all over the world to do what they want as far as Poland and the Ukraine and Slovakia and all that. Um, and all that cash money gets funneled straight to, to to North Korea, and they get to do whatever they do. 
Now, when it comes to China, China can't really interfere in Russia's business. And Russia's under sanctions, right? So they are now trying to use Russian uh, Chinese credit cards and the Chinese financial system in order to get their various nationalities all over the world, their banking system, you know, keep it running. Keep the $600 billion that Putin's got put back or whatever the number is, you know, keep that, keep, keep that running. Now, if you look back in the, in, in the history of, of, of China, Sri Lanka is a very good example. Sri Lanka needed some money. They approached China. China said, yeah, no, we'll give you this loan, which is an exorbitant amount. But as a, as a, uh, whatchamacallit, as a balance, you have to give us one of your ports. So as, we, as I'm speaking now, China owns Sri Lanka's main port. So anything that goes into Sri Lanka comes through China, literally. And this yeah. is in the continent, in the subcontinent. So think about it. So Russia's got diamond mines. They've got gold it's mines. They've got Lanka. oil fields. Mm. Yeah, the, exactly. Exactly, Sam. I mean, it's over Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, um, all that. They've got the same thing. Um, so now they go into Russia and they say, okay, Russia, look, you've been embargoed. But yeah, we don't care about the rest of the world. They, we're China. We, they can come do what the hell ever they want. We stop our exports. Everybody stop getting TVs. End of. You know, it's very simple. So um, you will give you all the money you want. But um, we are interested in that gas field over there. We want that diamond mine over there. How about that gold mine down there? Oh, and just for security, you know, you've got this little oil thingy going over. Yeah, you know, I'll just keep eye on that view. And all of a sudden, they take over production. They take over transport. They take over the selling of it. Obviously, the terms are such that Russia will never be able to make it. Every single country you're thinking of right now, Sam, is under the same thing. You'll never be able to meet those terms. Yeah, I can't imagine. Done. I can't imagine that Russia would, if they do, and they're forced to sign into that. Mm. Um, obviously, the, you know, there's, you know, ninety percent of the world's nuclear weapons are between Russia and America, right? Uh, at mm. some point, Russia's going to say, "Well, we're not putting up with that from China anymore." So, the countries that China has succeeded in tend to be militarily weaker countries. Um, and poorer countries, whereas Russia, like just just seeing what Putin's doing now and wanting the Russian might to be back on the table, I think yeah, at some yeah. point if they do accept it, it's going to turn the relationship sour. So, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree. It's it's a delicate situation, and it's um, yeah. like this article I heard early on. If anybody thinks that China will be in the position to negotiate the peace treaty, so to say, or the no fire, whatever, you know, that's a very naive thought because yeah. they can do. As long as they don't do that, China wins. <laughs> as long as they don't do that, whatever they decide, they win. So this yeah. is something for them to avoid. Yeah. Mm. I always say when China takes its eye off the domestic ball, it always loses control of its country. So mm. I will be surprised they if also, they change that. They also, they also don't want Russia setting off a nuke, though. So no. at some point, no. they need to stop no. it. Yeah. Well, didn't didn't North Korea yesterday or the day before just test an intercontinental missile again? Yeah. <laughs> a new defense <laughs> like, oh, come on, system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, come on. Uh, uh, See China. Another, sorry, uh, you, you were going to say something tonight? Uh, I was just going to say. No, no, so no. An, an, Go ahead. An, an article really worth reading in the Hill is a shift to clean energy would halt Russia, Russia's petro thuggery and more. And this is really talking about. Um, obviously, the politics and the history of, of the oil and gas industry and how they've blackmailed the world. And um, But what they're, what they're doing is so the big oil is now making lots and lots of money. And also they're leveraging the crisis to call for new policies to expand oil and gas production. So mm. there's another there's another side of this story that's going on in the background that I don't think people are really paying attention to. But if we did 
managed the shift where the real focus was on renew renewables, which tend to be national, uh, local even. Uh, we, we have an opportunity and this is where we're moving. And I know a lot of people still think it's a fantasy, but this is this is the future where we need to head towards because we need to take this this the crises out of out of the world, especially when it comes to fossil fuels, because they're holding us at they're holding us to ransom, really. Um, and another article on, on the um, oil and gas is the link between Putin and climate change. I really want to encourage everyone to read that. And then um, the human toll and environmental devastation from Russia's war. So um, if you guys haven't seen this. The, so the prosecutor for the International Criminal Court um, is already on. It's, it's already started. It's already ongoing. But they've also um, been given authority to bring charges for damage to the environment. And I think, I, as far as I know, that's that's a first. Um, so it's any damage to the environment that is widespread, long term, and severe. So environmental impacts of war include the release of toxic materials into air, water, and soil from crumpled buildings. So we're seeing that all over Russia. Impaired sanitation systems, exploded pipelines and a damaged industrial facilities like fuel and chemical storage. And I just saw that um, uh, just before. Uh, yes, exactly. But I also saw another note that there's a, a Ukrainian science, scientific lab where they have pathogens and viruses that they're studying. So they've been asked to destroy that lab in case the Russians get hold of it. Um, we also saw that the... the there was all sorts of uh, chemical warfare that Ukraine was ready to launch, which, you know, I, anyway. Um, but the other thing is that they're worried that the Russians will target, target Ukraine's hydroelectric dams, as well as toxic mine tailing dams and hazardous waste storage sites. So there's some there's some big, big, big environmental risks in the mix of this that is uh, getting the attention it should. And um, to me, that's one of the bigger, bigger concerns because it's really long term. Did, did you have a look at any of those ones? Yeah, I know war is brutal, man. War is brutal. Yeah. You know, it, you know, as the saying goes, you know, everything is fair in love and war. Um, <laughs> you know, war is brutal. Uh, out, out of a, a, a attacker point of view, to target those facilities is, is very beneficial for you because of the disruption yeah. it would cause. Out of a victim point of view, talk, being those facilities being targeted, yeah, I know, man, that's a cat in the house. It's it's the worst that could happen. Uh, the it, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. It, it, it's the a bad conflict. scenario. It, <laughs> go, please, Sam, go ahead. Sorry. The, the conflict in the exclusion zone is the thing that bothers me the most about that. Like the yeah. the disruption in the Red Forest. And the, yeah. I mean, like, and most of the world, I mean, a lot of people just don't even know about it. So you have yeah. all of this highly radioactive soil that is now being disturbed and sent up and out into the like and there is some times where i just want to shake or slap people who are making these decisions because if you make the entirety of the ukraine radioactive through your occupation you have achieved nothing you now have a radioactive country that you are in charge of well done that nobody can occupy, that can't produce wheat, that can't produce all of the things that the world and his economy needs. And I mean, Canada's the land of natural resources. I totally understand 
that Ukraine has natural resources they have their eyes on. It's got nuclear reactors. It's got all those things. But none of those will matter if they're all contaminated. Well, maybe so, that is the goal. You completely destroy exactly. the country. Just exactly. You can't say that. Nobody else can say Exactly. It's like, well, for, for, to, to exactly. To destroy yeah. it and show what you're capable of doing, right? So the story that Sam's talking about, um, there's a tire, it's in Inside Climate News. It's Chernobyl is not the only nuclear threat Russians, Russia's invasion has sparked in Ukraine. And it's talking about the Red Forest. And basically because this forest is so contaminated, it's also got a lot of tinder. So nobody's been in the forest. And if, if that catches on fire, it's not just going to be dangerous for the Ukraine. The, mm. the nuclear um, pollution could go wherever the wind takes it. So that is a real risk. And there's 15 other reactors that are running elsewhere in the country that are also at risk. So the nuclear conversation wasn't as prevalent this week, though, right? Did you notice that? There wasn't that as much talk as there had been in the first couple of weeks. Well, I, I was I was thinking about the nuclear thing and uh, thinking about how nuclear weapons can be used, right? If you think historically when and they've only been used twice and both times by America, and it was for the purpose of convincing a country to stop fighting, right? So the the dynamics of how um, nuclear weapons might be deployed now, I I I, I, I this is an area that's never been. Um, if, if if a weapon is fired in aggression, uh, it'll be the first time ever. Mm. And uh, the, the the question also is now what what do you do with that? Because it's the the idea has always been, and the thinking has always been about I have one so that you won't, right? And it's not it's it's never been the other way around that I'm prepared to use it. So that yeah. that's the that's the that's the uh, situation that we have. So I I don't know whether there is. It, it, are we are we in a situation where we we really can't contemplate this as something that can really happen? As in, like, do we do we really take it seriously, or do we just kind of go like, no, it can't because it's so unthinkable? You know, I I, I was thinking about how the world was before nine eleven. Um, people weren't prepared to think that a plane would be flown into a building, right? It just it just wasn't the thing. I mean, I mean, I remember when I heard. Uh, about the first tower, um, and I and I was in the media industry, and I heard rumors about it. And they, they some of them said they were investigating whether it's a terrorist situation. And I said, no, nah, it just can't. It can't be. This is a. This must be an accident. And then the second one goes in. And then I found it interesting that that after that, um, every plane that went near a building, I was thinking, oh no, I hope it doesn't. You know, it, it, it was it 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 changes the way we think about things. So I'm I'm really. I'm really wondering if there is a way that we can play out the moves of a nuclear attack. Can anyone uh, launch a nuclear attack? I mean, the, the whole point is is mutually assured destruction, right? So, so yeah. who can move, right? It's a, it's a it's a chess move that isn't playable. So the the conversation around who is really going to ever launch a nuclear attack? It was always going to be a rogue state, rogue actor. Um, India and Pakistan, that was always seen as the highest risk of two countries potentially setting off nuclear weapons. And that was a report I read years ago. And, you know, it was such a small amount of nuclear weapons that needed to be launched before, um, you know, I think we talked about it last week, with global warming would increase to eight degrees and basically nobody can survive that. Um, cockroaches might do it. And I suppose the, the, the question in the mind is, in all of our minds, is Putin's saying this stuff, right? He's expressing, uh, I am willing to use these weapons. 
Um, and we don't know if he is or not. And I think that's the thing. When it came down to the line, would he use them? And I, because there's so much confusion around him and his mental state and, you know, there's 50 different opinions on who, why he's doing what he's doing and we're all trying to work out, well, who's right and who's wrong and, um, and we don't know. And that's, I think that's where the, the fear and in insecurity about the future comes from because we just don't know. We don't know what he's capable of doing and he seems capable of doing anything. Oh, that's a fair statement, man. I think the problem, Seems, right? the, the the problem most times is that we're very we're very poor uh, judges one one of ourselves and then of others in terms of what we do when we are in a heightened state, yeah. um, and and we've all I I don't know whether you have but I I'll speak for myself uh, I I've caught myself doing something where I'm like wait hang on I I don't do this right uh, because you you you're pushed to that point you know I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was I was thinking about it when Sam was saying you know, having this the, the, the shake and slap right I was thinking oh only a mom feels that feeling right only with <laughs> adults I don't shake yeah. or slap my kids no it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, <laughs> what, what I'm saying I'm is, you know, put Putin in time out until he has thought about what he has done and considered <laughs> the consequences. Yeah, no, it, and then he can start the, the process of reparations. <laughs> it's the it's the better side of us that actually prevents us from doing the shaking and slapping. I mean, that that's really the the, the fact. There are days when you just go like, I want to do something. You know, when I I think about it, and maybe again, I I could be just uh, exposing myself to it here, but um, there's there are times when I when I read a story about someone, you know, uh, enacting violence, killing somebody else, and I go like, I can kind of understand. You know, and, and I and I think um, with with Putin, it's about it, it's about the length of the story. I, I think most of us think about it today. I arrive at work and the situation is like this. How would I react? Um, Putin's been at this for a really long time, and if you were to look at what, uh, if if you, if you look at the the litany of sins committed against Russia and maybe against uh, the 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 the, the uh, legacy of Russia. Uh, the West has a lot to answer for, you know, in terms of what it said it would do, wouldn't do, uh, and in the end, what they what they did. So, uh, I think a lot of times Russia has been, despite you know, R Russia has moved from superpower to punchline, and there's only so much sometimes you can do, especially if you've been, especially if you've been the captain of that ship for a while. You know, if if you were, if if you weren't the person in charge, and you didn't feel so connected to it. You might not take it as personally, but this is a this is a long time coming. You know, I mean, it's it's not a it's not one of those things that happened just today. I love that the superpower yeah. to punchline, yeah. and I think I think it's. Mm. But then you know, he's had twenty years leading the country to turn the country around and bring it into into its fullest potential, yeah. and he hasn't done it. So you know, this idea that he deserves respect because he's the leader of this amazing country, which I do believe Russia is an amazing country. Mm but the people are still struggling to survive. Um, he hasn't maximised the opportunities. He hasn't prepared the country for the future. He's still banking on fossil fuels as the economic saviour of the country. I mean, you know, he's gotten so much wrong, to, as far as I'm concerned, as the leader of the country. And I, I, I think that's, you know, like the, the answer to the, to the challenge that we all face right now is the people in Russia rising up. You know, the only way we can stop this from what I'm seeing is the people rise up and... Uh, 
I hope they do. And I know that people are suffering terribly for protesting, but it, the more and more and more people that stand up and, and go out into the street, the greater the chance that we, we, we do have of ending this. Because, you know, we saw there's a negotiation in Turkey with the Ukraine and uh, the Russian foreign minister, no chance. They're expecting Ukraine to, to um, what, what do you call it, call a ceasefire, um, surrender. Of course, the Ukrainians are not going to do that. We've got all of the European and American leaders meeting in Versailles this weekend to talk about what they're going to do. I mean, you know, but the reality is the answer to this is for is always within the country where the problem lies, and that's the people of Russia. And and then, you know, I've been reaching out to my friends in Russia, and they're, they're not in Russia, but Russians in the world, and they're, they're having a terrible time. People are t talking to them so badly. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're treating them like shit. You know, this isn't Russian people doing this. This is Putin yeah. and his cronies. And, um, but, yeah, it, it, the only chance we've got. Sorry, Denise, do you want to? Jump in. We'll go into the business bit. Yeah, no. Look, it's it's uh, uh, Andre. It's it's one of those cases whereby everybody else is suffering because of somebody else's indecision, right? It's it's yep. common throughout the world. You can equate it to first world countries like America and and Britain and all that. Let's let's call it the Brexit. Let's call it any, any latest vote in the USA. You know, everybody suffers because of somebody else's uh, else's inequality, but or a decision about inequality. Um, I've seen a lot online about the Russians not agreeing what's happening in Russia. They are outside in the UK. They are in France. They're in Thailand for that matter. You know, wherever, pick your country, expats. And um, these expats are trying to communicate with their family members and friends back in the Russia. And the stories they give each other are not matching up and nobody's willing to concede to each other's side, meaning that... Um, me being a son for the sake of this discussion, I'm talking about dad in Russia and saying to him, no, dude, what the hell is happening over there? And then he says to me, no, 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 no. Look, this is what's all over us. It's propaganda, right? So yeah. this is what's happening and this is what we believe because this is what all we see. So you send the back, send, look, well, no, this is from the front line. You know, you give the hard evidence and yet it's still not. And it's gotten to a point where there's become a division between these people and, well, the people who are expats living outside and receiving free and open news and information sources versus the people who are stuck in Russia or the Ukraine, for that matter. I mean, it, 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 people trying to do goodwill. I mean, Uncommon Courage for me is about people trying to have Uncommon Courage and go beyond. Um, something funny, Vladimir Klitschko, the world WBA heavyweight boxing champion of the world, him and his whole family, um, they signed up to go fight for the Ukraine, they're Ukrainian, and off they go. Um, this guy is selling his gold medal to the to the Olympics that he that he won. He put it up for auction. Somebody paid a million bucks for it and said, "Look, mate, here's your medal back. Here's a million bucks. Go fight the war." I okay. mean, this is the type of influence you have. Whereby in, in Russia, I'm going to say something now, and I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to take a risk. I'm Russia. I'm sure none of that's happening. None of that's happening. Well, they don't even think a war's happening. I mean, the the fake news and the propaganda, uh, you know, like they are literally getting information that there is no war in Ukraine and it's and it's all bull and and, and of military course military operation. Yeah, and, exactly. the, and the Ukraine Ukraine's ready to um, invade Russia with chemical warfare, so they're getting a completely different perspective. But because they're Nazis. Is, yeah. That's the narrative. I hate for the idea that someone at that very moment joined the joined the stream and then they, they heard that. They go like, <laughs> because they're Nazis. <laughs> <There was context. laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Look, we, we I, have, I spoke about... Go ahead, Joe. No, we have someone who's just commenting now. And because I'm not sure exactly when it was this comment came in, uh, I'll just accept that it was for everything we've been saying so far. Makes a lot of Excellent. sense, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take, it, take, it, take it where it's coming from, by the way. All right. So just, just want to just quickly mm -hmm. sort of capture some of the news from a business perspective. We're seeing more than 300 countries that have withdrawn from Russia. But one of the one of the pushes in the Ukraine leadership have asked is for Russia to be completely unplugged from the global Internet. And there's this group called ICANN, which stands for the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. And yeah. basically, they're, they're in charge of Internet governance. If you've been in the technology industry, you know ICANN. For everybody else, you'll have no idea what they are. But basically, they've said an emphatic no. Uh, it's one world, one internet. We've seen China's build their own sort of internet behind closed walls. And, you know, for me, it's you start taking the internet out. The information war is a critical part of the fight that's going on right now. And if you take it away, we're depriving the people all over the world, but especially in Russia, with a tool for sharing information, whether we agree with that information or not is relevant. It's going to set a dangerous precedent. And... Um, you know, security and privacy in the future, but I think we need to keep the information channels open. So I do agree with that. Um, and, and but look, you know, I saw TikTok. If you've got a Russia, if you're a Russian user on TikTok, TikTok, you're not allowed to uh, post. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right choice. You know. Um, then we saw just today Facebook have announced that you can say um, down with the Russian something, you know, and that won't be banned as hate speech. So they've kind of changed the hate speech rules. For this time you know so there's some there's some stuff going on i'm not necessarily convinced it's the right stuff i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that seen any of that i think Denise, you saw the, the facebook <laughs> one right how crazy is that i mean facebook mm -hmm. takes an incredibly staunch stance against anything being said to whatever's happening in america and the presidential elections and you know you you spread i don't want to it spread across the board, and then all of a sudden they said, and they used this quote in that article, if I'm not mistaken, I hope I remember it correctly, down with Russian bosses or something like this. What? And down, down with oh. Russian invaders. It was down with there Russian invaders. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, what on earth? Facebook's all of a sudden, yeah, no problem. You can go ahead and do that. If it's directed to Russia, yeah, off you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what the? We need to be careful. I think there's a lot of pressure, and I don't think, or, uh, I, I think, you know, responding to the pressure and being seen to do the right thing to be in, a, you know, in alignment with the world and what we're doing, you know, we do, we need to do everything we possibly can, but I think there's a, there's, there's a line and information channels need, they're important. They're really important right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, Look, and I, I, you can't, you can't speak bad about Russia at all. You can't say a single bad word about Russia, but you can say every single bad word you want about Australia for that matter. Use every word in your vocabulary and off you go. I mean, this is the same. It's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. That's the double standard is mind blowing. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I, I was going to say in terms of you know, trying to trying to to to, to police. Um, it's it's always very difficult. I always think that civility requires sometimes uh, uncivility, right? You know, to, to 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 make it happen. So this is the kind of thing that that happens. We we are trying to balance something. We're trying to you know to, to allow people, so to speak, on on, on the so-called good side of things. Uh, and when when you feel that you're on the right side of history, then you you kind of feel a bit more empowered. I mean, I I just recall things that I said as a child, which now I'm pretty appalled I did. Uh, because I just felt I was on the right side at the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, the concept I, of the I, right side. <laughs> yeah, it's well, subjective, you know, isn't it? I mean, look, there, there's some 
<laughs> I, 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 again, how my crazy mind works, right? I was just thinking about how at the time there were some people who were pretty cool or pretty happening and then thought, you know, yeah, Hitler's youth, good idea, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just want to, I just want to finish with one story that I didn't, I, I didn't have a chance to send to you guys. So I only picked it up today. Joe and uh, my friend Eugene Wee shared it. So, Joe, you might need to help me with the name of this minister. So it's Senior Minister Taman Shan. Oh, Taman Taman Shanmugaratnam. There you go. Easier said. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's called "How Countries Can Respond to a Perfect Long Storm," and I really want to encourage everyone to read this. I'm going to share it in my uh, weekend read. So. One of the perspectives of international politics that I always listen to is the senior, uh, is the Singapore politicians. Um, there's just there's a different there's a different tone because it's an Asian country that is in Asia, but it's also um, strongly allied with the West. So they all the di diplomacy and the language for me is always. I believe it's always very powerful and worth listening to. I'm not saying they get everything right, but it's, he's talking about five fragilities, right? So obviously, number one, Ukraine. And he says, and so it's a transcript of his speech, but I'll, I'll just capture just a couple of points that I thought was really important. So number one, there is no realistic pr uh, prospect of a, uh, of a trajectory with a good outcome coming out of the war or that leaves any major country better off than before. It is only a question of how bad the outcomes will be. The situation will likely get worse before it can get better, but none of the trajectories is going to lead the world to a better place. Pretty powerful, right? Number two, yeah, inflation. Man. Beyond Ukraine itself, it is the ramifications for the world that we should be most concerned about. And we were talking about that earlier. It's already begun. Number three, climate. It is no longer possible to make the adjustments needed to tackle the climate crisis without ensuring energy security. The Ukraine war has forced that. We've been talking about it. Number four, global health security, a real challenge that we have to prepare for. The pathogens are coming. The risks have been accentuated by global warming, the loss of biodiversity, deforestation, and increased human incursions into the natural world. And he's really talking about how we're going to get through this pandemic and then there's going to be another one and another one. So it's not it's not a cheery read. And then the fi number five is less inclusive growth. Within and across nations, there is a real risk of rollback in the gains that the developing and emerging world has made in the last two to three decades. Expecting other structural shifts, geopolitical instabilities, higher food and energy prices and slower growth and the fact that both climate change and pandemics will hit the poorest and the most vulnerable countries the hardest. So not necessarily a, a sort of a, a pleasant wrap up, but I think if we can face it, and we can say this is this is where we are, and this is potentially what will come if we can keep if we continue to play the game like we've always played the game. Or do we say it is time to fundamentally change as a global society because we need to anyway if we have any chance of overcoming the challenges that we face? So, I think I, I mentioned was, it on on last. I was it on last week's show. I, I think it was where I said it. Right, I was talking about when we, I, I look at the world as people driving in traffic. And too many times people spend time complaining, blasting their horns, staying in the same lane. And I think what you need to do really is use your steering wheel, you know, just 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 move, change paths, do what you need to do to get to get going. Um, I, I think that, yeah, all, all this is true if we do nothing 
positive, right? And in terms yeah. of like, if you talk about where the world is, is going to end up, uh, yes, there'll be a price to pay, but this will be like a correction in the market. We're going to try and, and, and find our way back on a path, uh, get to a point. I mean, look, we, we, we had the Second World War to tell us there will never be a war like this ever again. And then now we're like, oh well, maybe you know, uh, but we, we we're going to learn from this. We're gonna we're gonna move to a hopefully better place. Um, and who knows? I mean, you know, th- this could be the this could be the birth of of democracy in countries like China and Russia, you know, where you know if if this nonsense becomes too much, you know, if I, I think what's what's really helping China sort of stay on the outside of this actually, and 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 I and I. And I'm always hesitant to bring up this uh, this idea of race, but it really is about the difference in race that allows these sorts of things to happen. That the whole idea about why, for instance, refugee crises uh, are different now, as in like what people are trying to do and how much help is coming in, uh, it's because now a lot of the other people in Europe see themselves in the Ukrainians. The Chinese don't see themselves in the Ukrainians. Uh, what what would be very interesting actually is if the uh, Ukrainians uh, got together and said, "Look, let's get let's let's show the rest of the of China how many Chinese people live here," you know, because uh, we've had we've had um, uh, it's an interesting story. We had some Singaporeans who were in the Ukraine or in Ukraine, uh, and and they were doing work and supporting people and what have you, and they were they were there for a while. It's not not a huge number, but I think when you when you can see. You know, um, when you can see yourself uh, on the other side of the fence, that that really, really helps people see it. So, uh, when when I, I think when, when when people look at an insurrection, like when the uh, when the um, Chinese maybe look at, at at something like 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 six January, the insurrection, and they see those crazy Americans doing it, uh, it doesn't feel the same. As when there's a protest in Hong Kong, it, it's it's a it, even though it's very different, but there's some similarities there as well. And how people feel about that that that's 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 because you have to look for for yourself in the in the story. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a huge part of that, but I think it goes back to the first week where we really started to talk about the Ukraine war with the refugees, and I've seen a lot of the coverage. And, and Sam, you were talking about it and the racism towards non. Ukrainians, but also like this is. I think it's part of Putin's strategy that Europe can't take on another wave of refugees, and 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 Europe's mm-hmm. role, if they're not going to be actively engaged in the war, I believe their role is to take care of the people to get them through this time, and that's their participation in the war. And if they don't do it, and if we see what we saw with you know the Syrian refugees and uh, um, I mean, all, the, the refugee crisis that's still going on across Europe, right? And, and, and refugees use it used as fodder by countries like Belarus. You know, the terrible, terrible disrespect towards these people who are suffering. But I actually think it's a, it, it, it's a, it's part of the war effort to take care of the refugees. And if yeah. they can, if they can do it for the long term or as long as it's needed, it takes away a chance of it takes away one potential for for Putin to win. So well, I hope he stays strong. I really do. I think the refugee calculation uh, is one. I I feel that it's one that Putin uh, miscalculated based on just mm. thinking about uh, invasion and refugees in a very, uh, you know, in the same way as he was invading other countries. I mean, yeah. um, it's it's shameful that it's a fact. Uh, it's a factor 
but yeah, the 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 racial makeup of the invaded country makes a difference mm -hmm. because the 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 way the pressure comes off uh, or the people your neighbors are willing to help out uh, is very different. I mean, the, the way the way the neighbors around Ukraine have rallied is just amazing. Uh, I want to just take a, a very quick moment to talk about uh, you know like cryptocurrencies as well, right? Because I mean, you know, I talk about when when the world's difficult and and all, all the stuff's happening. Uh, <laughs> you, you know. Ukraine, be, being uh, the, the the kinds of, uh, of government that they had, they're actually raising funds using crypto, and they have uh, been very successful that way. In a matter of, uh, I think, uh, days, they raised something like thirty six million US, uh, uh, thirty six million US dollars, um, and and the number keeps going up uh, because what what they've been able to do is is um, uh, allow or encourage uh, cryptocurrency uh, donations. Uh, and it's actually given them, you know, that, that access to the financial tool, uh, tools that they need for the financing of war, which is uh, something people don't often think about. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, Biden, I, just, I, Biden just shored that up with his announcement, right? That the U.S. would investigate yeah, yeah. whether or not. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, you guys spoke about the, the, the cryptocurrency, and I said they, that when the war started, Ukraine opened up a, a facility whereby you can donate Bitcoin, you know, yeah, Bitcoin, yeah. read everything else coin, um, to, yeah. to the Ukraine. And within something like 12 hours, they, they, they made up like $8 million or something ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, if you follow, um, Joe, I'm sure you follow it, if you follow the, the, the progression of the Bitcoin from, or the, the cryptocurrency from then to now, it's gone through a cycle of increasing by 15 and decreasing by 18. So that's a 3% loss on your total initial investment. But nevertheless, you are totally helping out the guys that are, that are suffering. I mean, yeah. Airbnb, a lot of people, I've been reading a lot of stuff about Airbnb and um, uh, hotel reservations and restaurant reservations where people will get online and book accommodation somewhere in the Ukraine. I mean, name your city, whatever. And pay for a week, for example, transfer and not pitch up and say to the guy who's advertising the Airbnb, look, mate, any refugees that comes in, send them in there. You paid for, you're getting the bucks with these people up. And a lot of them have done that. You read online about restaurants, restaurant managers, chefs that open up their restaurants for refugees and say, everybody needs something to eat. Here's some food for you guys. Off you yeah. go. Um, the, the, I, I think that the, the, the humanitarian side, as Andrea likes to say, you know, the, the, the humanitarian aspect and the humanitarian approach is, is, is there. It's definitely there. Um, I think mm -hmm. not, my, my, my humble feeling is that a lot of the Russian people don't know what's really going on and they are questioning what is happening. Um, yeah. they are Which is why we can't cut off their access. Exactly. You can't, you can't cut off, like... I, the, it's, it's, it's so it's so short-sighted and kind of like the first thing we do in crisis as crisis communications people is envisage the end of the line where do we want to be what does success look like what are all of the possible outcomes there's no outcome for russia whereby you cut off the russian people to all outside influences of information and they mm. rise up and yeah, we exactly, all know exactly. we need them. We need them to rise up, which means you need to keep them on all of these social platforms. You need to keep that access. And yes, you're going to have a couple Muppets who are saying something that is, you know, either just bollocks or it's propaganda or whatever. Yeah. But you're also going to have a mass of people who share stories like these in Ukraine, who see they can book an Airbnb, who who 
find ways to unite, to talk, to like that freedom of information and freedom of speech can't be cut off just because you don't look like you don't like what the country is doing. Yeah. Um, Sam, you're absolutely right, man. Yeah, the, the the rise up. That's the omen, only common, only common. I don't know what you call it in English, but the only common com comparable, comparable, whatever throughout history. Whenever there's a oppression, I mean, if you go back to the Roman times, the Egyptian times, you can you can trace history back all the way. I mean, you mentioned not Nazis back in the day. There, there's the, the only the only result of that is a rise in the population. Not everybody is going to agree with this position they've been forced to be put in, and there's somebody that they will rebel. I mean, South Africa apartheid, the, the protests we have to used to have back in the day. I mean, we still have them right now in France. France is famous for protesting. They do not agree with these people, and they rise up. This is mm -hmm. this is very much, in my humble opinion, something that's going to happen. That the Russians yeah. are going to stand up and say, "If you don't believe what you guys are telling us." We absolutely yeah. think it's BS, and we are going to change our thoughts. There's probably, that led, probably led by the mothers of Russian soldiers. Oh, fair yeah. hell, hell hath no scorey like a mother scorn, or hell hath no fury like, like a mother scorn. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, oh, yeah. Can we, yeah. Um, so I'm going to move things along. There's so many other articles that I shared with you guys, so humanity or the like of. There's... Um, there's a, a lot of sexual traffickers exploiting the uh, refugee situation. Uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, the fake news and propaganda that's going on. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big story. It's an overwhelming story. I know a lot of people are struggling with it. Um, we, are, we are already being impacted. Next time you go to the supermarket and you can't fly, you can't find sunflower oil or it's doubled in price, you're going you're gonna to see that we're already being impacted by it. Uh, think of the people in the poorest parts of the world. They're going to be the ones that are really suffering. We've got 40 countries on the risk of famine. So three of 100% confirmed that the box has been ticked. But the reality is we've got 40 countries in famine. And we've got some big problems in the world. And this is the last thing we need. And everyone get involved in the information more. And if you can speak Russian, write Russian, or you know somebody Russian, work out how you can help them get information into the country because I think that's going to be our best bet. So... Should we move on to the environment? One more thing. Did you see they are willing to pay multilingual mercenaries to go and fight for the Ukraine? $2,000 a day. Yeah. Are you going? No, I can't speak Russian. Give me oh, a couple right, of months. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I want to speak yeah. about um, International Women's Day. I, this is what I'm here for. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, so we'll just quickly go through the environment stuff that's come out this last week, and then, we'll, then we're going to get in, in, onto um, equality, all right? Cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I think it might have been hard to have missed the floods in Sydney. Absolutely catastrophic. Uh, but, of course, Scotty, the uh, Prime Minister of Australia, uh, impressed me once again when he said, no point tackling climate in Australia if emissions keep rising in the developing world. <laughs> not my problem <laughs> yeah yeah so the stuff that australia uh extracts out of the ground sends to the developing world and then buys back as products at, um, but also australia is one of the countries with the highest per capita uh pollution levels so uh yeah it's time to do something and it's good to lead rather than follow um, BlackRock is in the news, in the headlines again for greenwashing. So I don't know if you guys, it's one of the large, it's, it is the largest investor in the world and its CEO has been sort of up there in the last couple of years saying we're going to do everything we can and advising people not to do the wrong thing. Anyway, they've, uh, the Greenpeace 
had their freedom of information request uh, agreed to, and it's revealed uh, emails that uh, are showing that BlackRock is behaving otherwise. Um, there's a uh, the the UN IPCC report, which of course is not getting enough coverage. Please look out for the articles. One is Q&A, has the IPC's bleak warning of climate breakdown been heard? Um, and that's a really good piece. And it really talks about will adaptation be enough? And basically, um, once we hit a, a point in, in, in the heat rising, there's nothing that we can do. Um, and then it's also talking about the next assessment that's going to come up, up, which is all around mitigation. Final piece I really want to highlight is uh, crisis, climate crisis in The Guardian. Amazon rainforest tipping, tipping point is looming. I read a, an expert on the Amazon quite a few years ago now who said that we had already passed the tipping point in the Amazon. But this is um, showing 75% of the untouched forest has lost stability since the early 2000s. So we've talked about the Amazon becoming a savannah before. It will completely change global weather patterns. Um, because, you know, the moisture in the in the forest goes up into the clouds and does things. It's predictable, and that's all going to be over soon. So, some big, big stuff. And uh, I've, I've got something to say about that Amazon thing. Oh, not the Amazon, the Sahara, for that matter. Um, you know, there's been studies being done that prove that if you populate a quarter of the Sahara with solar panels on its perimeters, you'll be able to provide enough electrical energy, providing you can store it in the, you know, the salt batteries or the chemical batteries or the iron batteries in order to, to supply the world. But something that caught me by surprise was that once you install the infrastructure for these facilities, you know, you know, hundreds of square kilometers worth of solar panels that provide shade and cooling and temperature de de variations and variations. all of a sudden animals and insects and that type of stuff are going to move into these cooler shades once they migrate and all that um and this has been proven over the years you know whether you believe in in um evolution or not but it's been proven over the years that the sorrow has only been a desert for ten thousand years prior to that it was a tropical jungle so once we install this type of stuff, it will change the, the environment um, in a significant way to the sense that you put these facilities in, all of a sudden you'll go from a desert to an environment that, you know, encourages the, 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 the reproduction of various plants and animals and that type of stuff. Mm. So it, even though we get free electricity and, you know, the, 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 the fossil fuel and then the CO2 gases and the greenhouse gases, you know, gets minimized and blah, 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 you can go down that road. But um, the impact of that is something that's still theoretical and how that will impact the global weather systems is something that can only be uh, speculated on. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting topic, man. I've been, I've been because, I mean, it makes sense. You know, the Sahara Desert's got sun, it's warm, it's got everything, you know, put solar panels on, everything is great. But these solar panels, like the clouds, reflect the, the UV rays. They reflect the light back into the atmosphere. So all of a sudden, you don't have the same heat dispersion. You don't have you, you lose all of that type of stuff. You literally take the UV and send it straight back out of space. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, that's that stuff that people don't often consider when coming to this. So how would we know the, the the what the reaction would be? We don't. I mean, we've never done it. So you, I, think, I, you know? I think I think the whole Amazon point, you know, people to call it, call it the lungs of the world, and um, I've I've read a lot of different points, and uh, especially in opposition to that. But the reality is, the large forest mass on our planet uh, create a stable environment, mm, exactly environment, right? And that's yeah, that that's what we mess with if that goes. I mean, we, we've seen more 
um, I don't know if they're cyclones or hurricanes or what they are, uh, on the west coast of countries like Australia and India. Mm-hmm. Where they, they're, they're not even prepared for that sort of, those sort of mm-hmm. things because that never happened before, right? So it's mm-hmm. the radical weather patterns and they're going to change quickly and they're going to hit places that aren't used to it. You know, the sort of uh, typhoons that you see coming through the Philippines, right? And they're getting bigger and they're lasting longer and they're staying longer. Um, if they start going into different parts of the world who, who don't have mm-hmm. that preparation, you know, from the physical structures that people live yeah. in or, you know, they're not prepared for it, then we just, or the crops that are grown in a place will be decimated. So it's, you know, and this is short-term stuff coming our way that we're not going to be prepared for. And that's we where also, the devastation is going to come, you know. We also lose all the carbon that the Amazon sequesters. There's that too, yep. I mean, uh, it's, none of it yes. is good. Yeah. Yeah. Got I think I just today. lost my camera there. You're still here. We can hear you, but you're and you're paused. And yeah, you're no, I don't know. Open, so that's a good sign. You're you having a Rodan. <laughs> you're having a Rodan thinker moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Yes. I don't know what happened. I touched the Y on the side, yeah, and all of a sudden it went for, yeah. Oh boy. The nice, the nice smoldering I'll, I'll away you, in our shot here. I'll take you. I'll, I'll take you. I'll take you off and bring you back on. See if that makes a difference. You're still paused from what I can see. Yeah. So I'm um, look. You, you know the reality. Whatever, whatever we think about it, we have to be creating rapid change right now. And if we don't, the suffering will get greater. And that's 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 it, you know. So if we're willing to have greater suffering, then okay. Um, but I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep sharing stuff on it. I'm, you know, Sam's helping me with my daily climate tips. She's doing the fabulous designs, and I'm just going to keep just putting the message out there because. We've got to we've got to wake up to the urgency, and I, I honestly, it's like I don't think people are facing up to the repercussions of this war, and I don't think people are facing up to the repercussions of the climate emergency. So just keep just keep talking about it and see see if we can get more people on board. That's all we can do, right? And never give up, never give up hope. That's well, it's, it's a combination. Bit. It is a combination of uh, of the skill and the message, right? I think I think that's really something that that. Uh, most times, people we, we tend to forget about it. We, we we send people who are not prepared into situations where they're supposed to 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 to, to be the voice to, to to try and be the message, right? And not everybody is a Thumberg. No, not everybody has got the charisma uh, and the and the the presence to carry it. Uh, most people uh, who try that come across maybe not in the best way. So sometimes you end up in a situation where, you know, they're not uh, they're not um, they're not the best rep you could choose. I mean, basically, yeah. what I'm saying. So there's almost a need for an academy, and this is the uh, terrible Singapore solution to everything. Let's have a campaign. Let's do a. Let's have a, a schooling system. But there should be a campaign. You know, there should be. There should be a, a kind of teaching system where, uh, yeah, sure, come, come on in. You want to be an environmentalist? Great. Let's also make part of it communications. You need to have yeah. communications as part of your training. It's yeah, called. So- UWC. <laughs> um, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. United World Communications. There is, there is, um, <laughs> but just so you know, there is more and more of that happening. And I'm in the process of putting together um, like a, a doc, a document where I'm going to sort of just talk through it and how you do it and the pitfalls and the opportunities. And um, I think more and more people are talking about that. And, you know, 
I'll work with any climate scientist who wants to go out there and talk, who struggles with their communication. I'll work with anyone who's got a great message to, to help them have a voice in the world. But that is happening, Joe. It's happening a lot. And um, there's a lot of youth movements where they're doing it as yeah. well. Um, so the WWF are working with big corporates like De uh, Deloitte and they're helping to train them. So it's it, as long as it, you know, as long as it's the right training, because there's still a lot of bullshit yeah. in that space, right? Um, yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. If you're if you're in the communication space and you you have the abilities, definitely, I would reckon. I mean, I'm I'm going to take on that role of doing what I can to help people, and I hope other people do it too. And I know Sam's doing it, so help help as help however you can. And if you're a communicator and you're passionate about the future, um, teaching people the skills of communication, I think, is a critical a critical job. Yeah, you know, it's it, Andrea. You're you're very accurate about the skills of communication. It's it's an education thing. I mean, nowhere in school when either either of us, you know, went went back into school, did you have the opportunity where they tried to talk teach you? Um, yeah. This is how you talk, and this is how you take people's perceptions. Don't take offense to what they're saying. Respect people's um, opinions and all that type of stuff. Get your point across. Nowhere is that being taught. You know, we are learning this as we're going along. You know, it's literally yeah. a matter of, you know, odd knocks life. You bump your head and you realize, okay, well, I made an error. Let me change something or ask somebody, how do I achieve what I want to achieve and that type of stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, going back to 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 what you were saying about that, you know, it needs to come back to the roots. You know, it needs to come back to home. what are you trying to say? What is your real intent? Use the words you want to use. You know, if it's foul words, if it's very descriptive words, it doesn't matter. Use what you the be, words you want to use. Yeah. Yeah. But what what are you trying to say? What is your point? You know, um, it's 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 a it's a life lesson I'm still learning, to be honest. Yeah, a lot of people disagree with that, but I, I, I absolutely, uh, you know, just because you don't like people communicating in in a different way, like using foul language or whatever, uh, I think you've got to communicate in the way that's appropriate for you and your audience. So if you're, you know, like Aussie man reviews, right? He, he, he's swearing <laughs> all the time, but uh, people mm. love him for it. And just because you don't doesn't mean his message isn't important and it's not hitting the right people. So you've mm. got to have your message in your way to your audience, and it might be different to somebody else's, but the message is fundamentally the same. It's just told in a different way. And we need lots of different people telling the, telling the story in lots of different ways to reach lots of different people. So yeah. um, the copycat stuff that's going on a lot, uh, yeah, try not to do that. Try and be unique. Try and be yourself. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm taking on a role. I've got a, something I'm going to launch soon, I hope, but um, we, we can all do that, right? Do what you can, man. Do what you can. Every little bit counts. You know, if you can yeah. take a teaspoon and empty the sand pit, you know, take your teaspoon and empty the bucket. Sorry, empty the sand pit. Uh, I'm sorry. Only, that's all right. We've only had two so far. I was expecting more. And no, um, no, right. no, it's pretty good. No, no, no. This is who you are, mm. right? Um, yeah. International International Women's Day, the frustration. So that's the theme for this for this week. And um, I'll just do a quick intro. I'm going to hand it over to you guys, but. For many years, I've been challenging International Women's Day, and it's definitely not because I didn't believe in it, but, but because I've just not seen any change. And um, I remember back in 2013, I was working at Microsoft, and there was this lady from McKinsey talking at this International International Women's Day event. And when I was listening to her and listening to the data and, uh, you know, the business case and all that sort of stuff, I just I put my hand up and I said, I just feel that you're you're trying to stuff women into a system that's been created for men don't you think it's time that we actually created a new system that's actually good for both? 
because the existing system isn't actually good for man. So the the idea of holding on to it is, um, you know, something that makes the majority of people unhappy is always something I've struggled with. But anyway, it's um, nearly a decade later, and I was really kind of pleased this year to see that I wasn't the only person sort of speaking up against what in- International Women's Day has become, um, because equality slipped by, back by a generation in, during COVID, and the system has completely failed women in the last couple of years. So we've got a system that just allows women to fail at every level, whether they're in the business world, whether they're when they're whether they're at home taking care of their kids, and in a pandemic, expecting you know them to do both, especially for single mothers. So it's been um, it's been a devastating time for women around the world. And, you know, like in wealthy countries, it's been an extremely challenging time, especially for women at the bottom of, of the, you know, the financial rungs and women of colour. Uh, but, of course, also in, in the developing world, you know, there's, there's some basic stuff that can be done. Like um, I read an article on uh, renewable energy availability for, for women in rural India. If that was available, it would lift the entire country because the girls would be able to go to school, the mothers would be able to work because they're not spending all of their day out collecting firewood and and water and doing basic things because they have energy. So nothing's changing. It's getting worse. Um, The business case is made. Businesses make more money when they have more women in leadership roles. Countries' GDP increases when we have women in leadership roles. All of the issues that we've talked about today in the future for humanity, we need 50-50 representation at at the table. I was talking to a an inclusion uh, expert the other day, she still doesn't understand what's, what the hell's going on and why it's not changing. It's very frustrating. Mm. Who wants to talk Is first? It, I can say something about women empowerment and empowerment of the majority of the minorities. Um, look, I grew up in South Africa. I was born in the 80s, so I was. it was a very significant point of time in the, in the issue of South Africa, transitioning from... The, the, the apartheid government going over to when Nelson Mandela in 94 took over and we became a democratic government up until where we are now. Um, in this instance, I don't think it's worth differentiating between, you know, discrimination towards women versus discrimination towards minorities. Um, in order to achieve equality, what they decided to implement was something they call BEE, Black Economic Empowerment. So let's forget about the black aspect. Let's call about. Let, let, let's think about the economic empowerment. So this means um, anybody in the disadvantaged side, and in, and in our instance, it's women, it's women of color, it's anybody who's not a man. Specifically in South Africa, state not a white Afrikaner or not a white Afrikaner uh, Englishman. So by realizing that there is an indifference, now you have to create opportunity for the, the, the minority to, to, to come in. Now, the minority has been disadvantaged over years, schooling, university, opportunities given, you know, social interactions, you know, barefoot, pregnant in the kitchen, if I dare use that term, but I mean, it, it's, it's a very inclusive term, okay? Um, so now you open up this, this environment to which one side has not been prepared for at all, in any sense of the word. They've been actually educated and prepared for something totally different. So now in order to achieve success, business success, financial success, whatever, you have to include these people. So some people are just going to be brought in arbitrarily. You know, you're one of these, you miss the profile, boom, you come, get some bucks, here's an office, off you go, you don't have to do jack, enjoy your life. Um, now be doing that, meaning the, the actual setup does not change. On paper, it changes. 
You know, you've got yeah. the, the the representation of the nation. Um, you know, females, males. You know, of color, ethnicity, whatever. It doesn't matter. But you've got the representation on 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 paper. But the honest business structure does not change. It remains the same. So you're including more expenses. You're including less experience. You're including something that is not acute to the business, purely just to achieve the, the the requirements set out by law. And that's not going to be a success. I mean, how many, if you open up a vegetable stand and I say to you, okay, um, Andrea, you're a, a white female from Australia. You open up a vegetable stand and you decide to open it up in X country. So you're the boss. So the, so the eth eth ethnic makeup of the country is this. It's you know, pick whatever skin color you decide is appropriate. You know, the, 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 the male to female ratio is made out of this. So your board of directors, the ownership, the management structure, the, the, the employee structure, all that type of stuff has to represent that, meaning that every percentage that each section represents throughout the, 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 the pie, so to say, your business has to represent that. If it doesn't, you, you don't get tax breaks. You don't get, uh, you're not able to grow. And there's a whole bunch of penalties that goes along with us. And it's not fair. It's absolutely, absolutely not fair. You are putting somebody in a position whereby they have to produce what they have to produce with a skill level, a labor level, you know, requirements that are not viable. It's, it's yeah. not a fair way to do things, man. It's not a fair way yeah. to do things. And it takes time for that transition to sort of happen where the, the, the skills and the confidence come in. And, you know, yeah. and with, with, with women, and I, I totally agree on the diversity front, to me, they're the, they're, the, they're the same issues. Um, but one of the things is women, women are being put into these positions of power. And first of all, they're being discredited because the only reason they got the job is because they're female. So whether or not they earned the right to the job is, is always on the table and it makes people behave towards them in an unsupportive way. But the other it's side is, yeah, exactly. But the other side is they're put into these positions and there's so much resentment within the business because because men are put aside for some of these roles or not given the opportunities that they've worked hard towards. And I've had loads of conversations with guys about this, and I think that's not fair either. But, um, yeah, so a lot of women are put into these positions and then they're not supported to be successful. Uh, and then, you know, when they fail, everyone's like, well, you know, of course she was going to fail because, you know, she's a woman and that's why we don't have women in leadership roles. So we've just got this whole kind of idea wrong you know and we're not it, it's a not, stigma man yeah it's, it's, it's a stigma yeah i i have so much to say about this yeah. i don't have enough time <laughs> 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 okay go let the chicken and strangling begin <laughs> i'm sitting down go <laughs> i i mean what a the whole thing is is just a it's a giant hairball of of mass confusion and and difficulties and you know we talk about diversity and 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 gender equality in the same vein except that also then you have diverse women who are even more you know face greater challenges and and it's it's all ugly and messy but the point yeah. that i wanted to make is there are a couple of things that i've seen recently that that also made me think, ah, oh, I, I, you know, I saw a post from a woman on LinkedIn the other day who was a woman of color and her whole post was stop calling me strong. Stop calling me capable. Stop calling me resilient. 
when I also want to be soft and kind and feminine. And she talks about this, this, and, and it's kind of this construct that you're talking about that we put women in. And often the belief is that they have to emulate the worst of male characteristics of leadership mm. in order to be successful and not, and like, God bless Jacinda Arden. Cause I think she's an example of how to do it properly, but mm. But there's even when we have those opportunities, the odds are still so highly stacked against success. And it makes me sad for for the fact that I have two young women who are coming into this world. Um, <laughs> but but also, you know, there was a there was a beautiful campaign, and I don't know if you saw it that was done in the u k. And it was a it was just a text campaign and there were huge subway posters and it says, close your eyes and imagine a CEO. Is it a man? Close your eyes and imagine a nurse. Is it a woman? Mm. Close your eyes and imagine someone crying in the office. Is it a woman? Close your eyes and imagine someone who has to leave early from the office to pick up their kids. Is it a woman? Like the problem is so much larger than just the job opportunities. Yeah. It is systemically ingrained in who we are as a society. The nurturing mom, if a kid is sick, nine times out of 10, it's, it's mom who leaves work to go home and take care of them, Right. And I remember when we started at UWC Thailand and, and if you know me well, okay, I have a vomit phobia. I don't do puke. I will do, all of the, I will do all of the other illness. It's why you'll never see me drunk. Like I don't do puke. And so the girls get sick. If there's puke involved, Jason, it's Jason time. Like daddy's coming to the rescue with buckets and whatever. And, and I remember the first time we were at UW Thailand and the girls got something tummy related. And so Jason stayed home. And one of the other teachers came in the next day, who was a dad, a really hands-on dad. And he said, that might be the most reassuring thing I've seen in education, that the head of school went home to take care of his sick kids. And mm. I was at work. So... Yeah. And, and like, that shouldn't be something that's so exceptional, right? It should just be like, <laughs> what's your workload? What's my workload? Okay, you go. Or in our case, there's puke. It's your turn. Um, but, you know, like, I just, I, I, I get disheartened, like Andrea is when I think about where do you start? And we start doing what Andrea is doing, which is raising young men to see women as capable and equal and and we keep hoping that generations as generations go through this process it will reduce and reduce and reduce and reduce but like you said we've just seen it all go backwards yeah. and and then there are dramatic repercussions for men like a lot of the teachers who were at home in the pandemic trying to teach are also mothers who have their own kids at home who are well, not, supposed no. to be supported with online learning. So now it's affecting the quality of the education that young men and young women are getting. Yes. So I, it's a. And then, and then you saw the, you know, single, single 
uh, families or just just low income families in wealthy countries they didn't have access to technology um you know like in, in in developing countries like a lot of the children didn't have access not not even to technology they didn't even have wi-fi in their home even if they did have access and you know it it, it just i felt like the whole system just collapsed around women childcare. It did. Uh, you know, like the domestic violence thing that sort of came up, and I put it in that blog that I wrote this week. I mean, the first page of a pandemic book is before you go into complete lockdown, make sure that you remove anyone who's been convicted of domestic violence from the home, go and put them in a hotel, they can do whatever the hell they want, but get them out of the home so that the women are safe. Basic, basic thing, right? Nothing like childcare facilities, you know, and that, now there's a massive shortage. There's these parts of the of the developed world where there's just there's no childcare facilities so it sort of takes away so many choices and it you know I think if we could redesign the business world and the world with women at the center of the design but you need 50% of women's voices at the table to do that yeah. and and this is know, this is what sends it all backwards right and when you look at if you have any if you've kids at home and someone needs to stay home with them you choose the lower income earner to stay right. home with them and 99.9% of the time, that's mom. Yeah. Uh, look, I've got something to say about this, about domestic violence. And, I, you know, it's, it's very much projected on, 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 the, on the men towards a, a lady thing. Um, it's hardly ever projected on towards a lady towards men thing. So I'll give you an example. Um, a man doesn't like whatever the lady is cooking for dinner, so... He ne doesn't necessarily slap her about, but he's, he's violent in his actions and his expression, all that type of stuff. A lady doesn't like what the men's commands contributing to their lifestyle, and she gets violent. There's the, the flips up of the coin happens, and I have to admit, okay. yeah, it's, but it it's happens. That, like, yeah. can I? The fraction of it doesn't doesn't implement it. The fact that it happens no, no, no. happens. I've been in no, relationships no, no. like this. This is yeah, what happens. No, I'm talking no. out of experience. So okay. it, it, it has no, to be something no that has question. to be considered. Absolutely. There is no question that domestic violence goes both ways. But until we hear that one husband a week is being killed by their domestic partner, I don't think it's an issue that we have to address as much as we have to address violence towards women in the home. Sorry. I don't think it's... Uh, no, 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 well, it's a fair I, I, point. No, it's a fair point. I take your point as it is, Andrea, absolutely. No, I take your point as it is, but I'm, I'm the, 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 what I'm saying is it's something that doesn't have to be discounted. It's something no, that has to be acknowledged. Absolutely. No, and it, yeah. it goes both ways, but, you know, there is a, there's a different outcome on, on the other side. So we're, we're kind of running out of... We should probably be wrapping up soon. Joe, did you want to just jump in? <laughs> no, <laughs> so, I, was, I, was, I was talking I know, about the idea. Over on this one. I, I was, I was, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always balancing this against this thing about the the natural hierarchies and hierarchies of competence, uh, which uh, is always a problem because you know, uh, as, as, as once you bring up competence, they say who says who, who then is the one who says you're competent. Uh, I was just thinking about how the situation with kids, for instance, right? If my kids were ill, uh, and if they had anything to say with it, they wouldn't have me come back and look after them. I mean, they first of all, uh, we'd, we'd, no, we'd come back home and find, oh, there's a kid missing. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not the better nurturer. I'm a really good strategist. But, you know, if you if you want to if you want to come home and just not say anything and be around a table and not say anything together for a while and then I'll make a comment about something, then you want to go off the room and not talk about it. Uh, I'm the guy you know who can do that. But uh, if 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 kids were to choose, you know, I think you usually choose the parent that's more fun, 
um, the one that they want to have around. And, and I know some dads qualify that way. Uh, I don't think I'm one of those. Yeah. Oh, look, not everyone was born to do Oh, don't, don't agree so soon. Completely different situation in my home. I mean, Steve's an amazing nurturer. He's completely devoted to the boys. He's always yeah. there. He's always present. And, you know, they'll come to me as much as they'll go to him. And, you know, that's what we've always wanted. But it's not always the same. And, and sometimes that's a conditioning thing too, right? How were you raised? Was your dad involved? You know, Um I think that's important too. So, and and you know, my boys will certainly be involved in their children's future if they if they are able to have children, uh, because of the way that their dad was involved in theirs. So, I think you know we can change it through the generations too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, that's absolutely, man. No, no, it, it change is inevitable. Change. That's the only thing that's certain. It's change. To, to, to get us to a better place, definitely. I think I think the, the, the that's definitely something that everyone wants to do. But I, I think the same way. Uh, I think um, <laughs> I, I think um, uh, kids can be quite cruel sometimes, and they can resent the idea that the dad is doing the things because you know it's a have to thing. I, you know, it's one of those things as well. Yeah. So Clinton, anyway, Clinton, uh, Clinton just commented that you know um, kids obviously um, often prefer the mum, but again, I think it's the way the way the mum is yeah. when 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 the That's children exposure. come. You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you know, from exposure, exactly. Yeah. There Dads was one thing that Steve to... couldn't do when the boys were born, and that was breastfeed. And otherwise, he could do everything. And right, right. from the word go, it was like yeah, we're in it together, you know. And there um, are a lot but, of homes but, with two dads. Yeah, exactly. So... But and some, you know, and sometimes the mum wants to do that, and, and that's great. And sometimes the dad wants to do it, and it's great. And but I think, regardless, like when it, when we we our children grow up and become adults, um, they're going into a in, into a place that is designed with one sex in mind and one way of being in mind. And I think men suffer that as much as women. Um, I think men lack choices in how they can live their life. I've, you know, so many so many of the guys I speak to wish they could do things in different ways, but they felt this burden from the day they were born that they're going to be the provider. So men, men, men have got this stuff going in their heads just as much as women have got their stuff going in their heads. And I, I just think you know, men be an ally to women, uh, don't think this is an opposition. Don't think that this means you're going to lose something. I always say everyone wins with equality. We need to stand side by side and face the future together, equal voices at the table. Um, but for, for women, I, I, I've i got to tell you, ladies, we've got to step up. You know, I was at an international women's date the other day and there's this lady who had something to say and she didn't have the guts to get up and grab the microphone and say it. We've got to grab the microphone. We've got to apply for the jobs. You know, like 80% of applications for these events that I get involved in come from men and 20% from women. We have to step up. I don't care if it scares us. We've got to do it. You know, you guys know I'm stepping up much more than I've ever stepped up and I'm doing it intentionally because we've got to, we've got to do it. And I'm trying to be a role model for, for girls and women around the world. And women have got to stop asking for it and we've got to start taking it. And, and that's... And you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right Uh, you know like the like like you're saying you know the the flip side of the coin is this the the expectation of women i'm going to use extreme examples and i'm sure i'll be crucified for this online but you know the the the, the place of a woman is barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen the place of a man is on the field sweating his ass off and bringing in the food you know this is this is the expectation so the, the the same pressure as well 
the same pressures that they have effect on your emotions and your well-being and your thought process or that it's present in in the male aspect of things as well so i can't stay at home the whole day and do home things and hang out with my family i have to go out in the field and swing a pick or swing a hoe and gather the grains or go shoot a fucking animal sorry go shoot an animal and and, and, and do whatever <clears throat> sorry sorry I'll, I'll pay the penalty but you know and, get on with it so those pressures are the same you know you are it's 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 not the same as in word for word but the the, the effect it has on the, the the person is is the same it's that challenging thing so now all of a sudden as a man i'm put under the pressure to make sure that the people under my care which is my wife and my kids and possibly my parents and my in-laws and my whatever you know you spread the net as far as small as you want you know all of a sudden i've got that pressure on me now so i can't do family things. I can't do, I have to wake up and go do this and then come back, go to sleep, wake up and go do this in order for all this to succeed. Um, it's not a matter of fairness, you know, but if you're going to bring the the, the, the the equality matter in it, it's not equal. It's absolutely yeah. not equal. In order for this franchise being a family to succeed, you've got these responsibilities, I've got these responsibilities, together we've got these shared responsibilities, along with these other people, there's additional responsibility that comes to tow. So everybody needs to pay, put their hoe in, put their bag in, pull their fair weights, and let's go for it. You know, whether you're a man, woman, boy or girl, your sister, brother, cousin, what doesn't matter. You know, you're mm. somebody who's willing to live your life and willing to get on with it. You know, go to the beaches, go surfing, go climbing the highest mountains, become the most successful business person in the world. You know, you're it, it it's it's almost as if your 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 gender or your sexuality shouldn't matter. And I'm referring specifically to, to the people who identify as different pronouns. You know, that's like irrelevant. You know, if you as long as you're a successful person, you know, yeah. people will support you. And this is I think in my opinion, this is what I try to achieve. You know, it's take it from where it comes from. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I always say, you know, people, there's too many people yearning for something that they want in their life, but they don't have the right to go for it because their sex does, doesn't allow them the space, right? So uh, I, I just think of all the people yearning. I'm, I'm lucky I don't have to yearn. I could do whatever the hell I wanted, you know, and I wasn't raised like most people were raised in Australia. I had a dad at home who, who, who brought us up because he, he was working from home as an artist. And my mum was always out there. She was earning the bacon. So I already had opposite parenting and opposite way of thinking and then, you know, just wondering, but like, I just, yeah, we just, we, we, the the change is so systemic and it's, and it's always, I was talking to someone just the other day and they said, what we should do right now is for the next 10 years, the only people who should be allowed to move into positions of uh, heading up companies or heading up countries should be female for 10 years, right? And then at the end of 10 years, if women haven't sorted it out, and 10 years will be enough time to get it sorted out, right? But if we haven't had enough time to sort it out, we can go back to what we've already, what we've got now. Why don't we do that? Take a risk. It's not going to work. I mean, males have had how many years to do it? But nothing has changed. No. Nothing has changed in the last 10 years, right? No. So we need to get radical if we're going to get see the change. Do you want to final statements on the International Women's Day before we wrap it up? Yeah. I, the, <laughs> I've spent so much time thinking about this, and, you know, just because I'm a female and I have two daughters. But I think – you know, I love the break the bias campaign, but I think the thing that I would ask any anyone, male, female, whatever, who's is is for me, I think it's about the removal of doubt. Yes. Because that is what undermines. 
when a CEO walks in and he's male and he's six foot and he's white, there is an assumption that he knows what he's doing and it's all going to be fine. There's no doubt. Mm. When that person walks in and they're a person of color, all of a sudden there's a little (laughs) doubt, right? Did they get there because Mm. of affirmative action? Did they get there because somebody wanted a, a, a board picture that was more diverse? Did they? Exactly. Did, 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 did. The same thing happens with women. Yes. Is there's this little doubt? Oh, is she the right person for the job? Like Harvard Business Review did a piece on it that that somebody else shared that said, "I'm tired <laughs> of people waiting to talk to the man who's in charge." Because I'm actually in charge. But they're like, well, but maybe there's a board behind you. And maybe the chair of the board is a male. And that guy is ultimately going to have the final say. And, and I mean, it, it caused quite a stir and the commentary and what have you. And then I thought it was very interesting that there were men weighing in saying this particular woman's field wasn't like that. And I'm like, she just said it was. And so yeah. I think that you should maybe not be talking here. But it's just stop doubting, you know, let people prove themselves, whether they are purple, orange, female or male, who can like let people prove themselves and don't doubt them and support them what they look like. Yeah, but yeah. not just let them Support let them, them prove themselves. Yeah. Help them succeed, you know, because because uh, yeah. that's the thing. People actively do not help them to succeed, and that's that's a, that's a huge part of the problem. Huge. Yeah. Anyway, it's weird like this. Eh? If, if you try and if you try and uh, you know tackle somebody else, you know you fall at the same time. You know why not help them out? You know even a tenth of a percent of a progression is a progression. You know if you, and if you help somebody else out, that ten might turn into a fifty or eighty. Yeah. You never know. But why break somebody down? What's the point? Yeah. What's the yeah. point? Oh, we're good at that, aren't we? All right. If we so we're going to wrap up. percent more climate scientists, we might be in a better place. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap up. So, what what is keeping you distracted at the moment? What are you What are you watching, reading, listening to? Anything Anything worth? Uh, I'm looking for Netflix recommendations, by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> the, the, the prequel to Games of Thrones is coming out sometime this year. The prequel to Games yeah. of Thrones. Yeah, I'll that's coming out that. sometime this year. Yeah, and season four of is Formula One. You mentioned it last week. It's coming out today, and yeah. that's the other thing. And then on YouTube, I've got going on Dear Meat for Dinner and Meat Eater. Highly recommended. What was the first one? Dear Meat for Dinner. One word. Okay. Dear. Yeah, I know it's a guy who lives out in Florida with his family, his wife, and his two kids. I mean, he's got two daughters that are knee-high to a grasshopper. They live on a ranch in Florida, and they catch tilapia and gators, and they cook clean and cook everything they catch, pigs, whatever. It's a really fun thing. Even to have a family able to live in an environment like that and totally enjoy that level of freedom is, is totally satisfying to watch. You're so African. Uh, and what was the, what's the other one? <laughs> um, deer meat for dinner. And Sorry, no, sorry. No, no. A, a, a meat eater. Meat eater. Yeah, no, Stephen Ranella, he travels all over the world. He does ethical hunting, whatever he hunts, he cooks, he cleans, he makes the food. Right. Sometimes he doesn't get anything, but he's still out in nature enjoying what nature's got to offer. It's outdoorsy, it's fun. Um, Kids would so love that's that. it. Yeah, man. Nice. No, so, come on, come on. 
It's all about Joe? being a man. <laughs> okay, I, I don't. I don't have. I don't have something that's been distracting <clears throat> me. So I'm going to use this time instead to make one final point about the previous idea, uh, which is, <laughs> don't rely on meritocracy. That's one of the things that is a failure. I, I work with the academics all the time, and they always work. At a, I, I can stand on the merit of my work. And you have to earn it not just in what you've done, but also in what you portray. And that is something yes. that people tend to not want to do. And because they want to, they want to be respected just because they're intellectual. They want to be, be respected for whatever they are, but they don't want to pay a certain price sometimes, which is standing straight, standing tall, speaking a bit louder, wearing slightly better clothes, whatever it is, all these things that are a price to pay for what it is that you want. And you, what, what a lot of people try to do is to get other people to buy it at a different price. They want you to, they, they want you to just respect them just because. But so that's, that's my, my little idea. Don't, don't rely uh, on meritocracy. I, I agree with that, but I think there's a, I think we can flip it as well. Um, there's obviously a lot of women who do not want what is on offer. <laughs> well, and that's the problem. No, there's, there's, I mean, we didn't, even, is... we didn't even talk about like hatred <laughs> towards women, like we female politicians in America, or uh, just hatred online. You know, why would you want to put yourself out there when you when there's just all this ugliness that's just going to come at you just because you're a woman? And you know, and, yeah. you know I, I experience it. I know what it's like. So, uh, but that's why I keep saying we've got to change the system. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's a culture. It's a cultural thing, man. It's a cultural thing. It's not a systemic thing. It's a cultural thing. Um, think about tribalism, even it's even close. in Thailand, yeah, in South Africa, in South America. I mean, if you think about the the, the you, you you can even mention um, the European nations, the same thing. Um, the, the 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 culture has always been the men here and the women here. You know, whatever fight is going on, that's always been the culture in whichever in whichever nation you go into. Um, the, one of the countries, one of the few areas that actually made massive progress on this is the Nordic and the Scandinavian countries, including Iceland and Greenland. I mean, they've got some of the countries with the highest elected female ministers and government representatives in the world. I mean, it was the first country to, the, 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 one of those countries was the first one to elect a female prime minister. The first female in charge of the country was one of those countries. And these guys are succeeding socially, you know, educationally, you know, financially, whatever. They are winning. And I'm not saying it's because of the female influence. What I'm saying is because of the inclusion influence. Yeah. They are willing to listen to everybody's voices and not discount somebody else's purely based because of what they look like or what they have. Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right, Sam, what are you watching, reading, listening to, being distracted by? Um, inventing Anna. Oh, oh yes, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's mine. <laughs> Inventing yeah. Anna was fantastic, um, uh, and then pieces pieces of her. Tony yes, Collette. saw that. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, excellent, and I love it because it's like like a mini series. So mm. you're not there's not eight seasons of it. It's like mm. nine shows, and it's done. All right. um, awesome. And it's very very good. And Tony so Collette's good. Huh? Oh, she's, she's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Steve's away for nearly three weeks, so for the first time in two years, I can watch whatever the hell I want. Which is so it feels so amazing, right? That you've always got to have to factor in your partner because you've been stuck together for two years. It was a very enjoyable time together. But, but it's yeah, not I, so recommendations, I think... the recommendations that come up after you've been through that list that's going to make you go like. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, what are you uh, watching? 
So if you want to learn about your kids the and bold or the, the, the young women who your sons may be dating one day, there's bold type and euphoria. 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 How good <laughs> is that? <laughs> Have you seen the last one? No, I, I, I actually gives me heart palpitations because I don't, I want, and Watch it makes it. me want to send oh. my kids to a convent somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that'll not make it worse. But I that'll will, make it worse. I will, I will. By the way, the, uh, the convent episode's coming up next week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh -oh. we are going to say goodbye. So first of all, I want to say thank you so much to Janice for joining us. And it's been great. And I knew, I knew you'd just be jumping in and, um, taking us in all different directions, which is awesome. And you've got, you know, you've got great knowledge, fine. history as well, which I love. And Sam, thank you so much for joining us in the in the in the host seat this week. And you'll be back next week. And Joe, good to see you, darling. Hey, lovely to be with you as well, Andrea. And of course, uh, thank you out there on the other side of this exchange. Don't just leave it in your feed. Uh, share it. You know, tell someone else about it. And if you want to be more specific about which part to look out for, go ahead and, and write a post about that. Andrea Andrea likes to give you advice in that kind of area. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, right, I love your shirt. Next time I'll have the same one on. I've, it's in my closet. <laughs> well, my, my, wife, my wife bought it for me. My wife bought it for me, so I thought I'd wear it. Yeah. It's my, it's my Christmas shirt from Los Angeles. chili peppers? Flamingos. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to oh. end the live discussion, guys. But yeah, see you next time. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs>